Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. The following podcast contains spoilers for The Power of the Dog, as well as some adult content. Hello! This is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Shirley Lee, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, David Sims. Hey, Charlie. And Spencer Kornhaber. Howdy. (laughs) So today we are talking about The Power of the Dog, the Jane Campion adapted and directed drama set in the American West in the 1920s. This is Jane Campion's first film in more than a decade. Her last film was the period drama Bright Star. And in the time since she's been working on the TV series Top of the Lake, The Power of the Dog came out on Netflix in November and has since become this year's Oscar frontrunner, sweeping many of the precursor awards and racking up the most Oscar nominations of any film this year. It's also a movie that requires a lot of unpacking. This film is ostensibly a Western, trafficking in a lot of classic Western imagery, yet beneath that aesthetic resides this claustrophobic psychodrama. And as Spencer has written about, the story itself perhaps has a queer problem. So today I'm hoping we can dive into this question. (laughs) I'm already backtracking. (laughs) (laughs) Forget I said that. No, Spencer, come on, lean in. Today, I'm hoping we dive into this question. Is The Power of the Dog an incisive study of masculinity, or is it a collection of queer cliches? But before we get too far into that, let's do some setup. David, I'm going to toss to you. Can you give us a refresher on what this film is about? Um, Yes, The Power of the Dog is a Western, but um, it's mostly about these four characters and the interplay between them, the sort of varying power dynamics so you've got jesse plemons and benedict cumberbatch who are playing the brothers george and phil burbank and uh, george is nice and phil is mean <laughs> i would say is sort of their vibes although there's a lot more going on beyond that but uh, george is sort of a fairly pleasant kind of civilized fella who uh-huh. you know runs this ranch and seems to desire a pretty settled life and and Phil is a, a dirty old meanie who bites everyone's <laughs> head off and uh, really values what a sort of impressive man of the wild he is. People helped you, fat. So one person in particular taught you and me ranch, and so we damn well succeeded. Bronco Henry. Mm. He's uh, castrating bulls by hand, and he's you know uh, mm-hmm. making his own rope and so on and so forth so their brothers they run a successful ranching operation in 1925 montana they meet a widowed innkeeper named rose who's played by kirsten dunst well why don't you invite your friend to the ranch and her son peter who's played by cody smith mcphee i don't want him to meet a certain person george marries rose after a brief sort of melancholy little courtship and they all move in together 
in the brothers gothic ranch house which is a giant sort of mausoleum like haunted (laughs) building in the middle of nowhere in montana this film was actually shot in new zealand but uh Mm -hmm. it's got you know big epic landscapes and phil shows his unhappiness at this new family by menacing them and bullying them especially rose i would say early on and he has a more complicated dynamic with peter who is sort of effeminate and a bit of a mama's boy but all all of these sort of uh, you know initial sort of judging book by its cover reads you might have on these characters is you know is obviously it's not the whole story as things unfold do many of the calves die from wolves there's always a few that get tore up or hamstrung or die of anthrax call it black leg you know you talk like a big troll the record you know that I think this film, you could very easily say that it has a, a rather simple setup, right? It's kind of this unhappy family and it's four characters. But really, there's one prominent character. I'd say Phil is mm-hmm. the central character and everyone sure. else orbits around his nastiness and his secrets. And the film slowly peels back what all of that is about. I want a movie about George who goes to town in these funny pork by hats and uh, I, is, I would is, say is theoretically running some lovely uh, errands and they, having a nice frontier business life. Uh, there's a reason George is doing that. It's not <laughs> just to keep his character out of the action. George is trying to ignore all of the obvious toxic things going on under his roof, in my opinion. Yeah. George yeah. is a character who has seen some things and George is the character who perhaps also knows about the fifth character in this ensemble who we never see but is named Bronco Henry and has since <laughs> become yeah. a meme. <laughs> yes, there is but, sort of an unseen mentor mm-hmm. to the two brothers named yes. Bronco Henry who Phil talks about with absolute reverence. George actually is sort of like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, Bronco Henry, yeah, the guy we know. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, I, I would like right. to go back to town now. <laughs> uh, do, you, do we know yes. anything about how Jane Campion, I guess that's the name in the book, yeah. it's, it's, uh-huh. it's Bronco mm-hmm. Henry? Yes. Okay, that's just yes, like yes, incredible, yes. yeah. Yeah, this is this is based on a book by Thomas Savage, written in 1967. Now, well, since you've mentioned Jane Campion, I do want to bring up a quote. I wanted to ask this of both of you. So, Campion, after she got her Oscar nomination, you know, after, what, three decades since her last one, she said, and I quote, I'm quite used to not getting them, as in Oscars, so I'm used to both right. sides of it. I've made quite a few films since The Piano, and they didn't get that kind of recognition, even though I felt like I was trying just as hard. It's really mysterious what people connect to and what they don't, and I'm certainly not the knower of that, you know? So I wanted to know from both of you, when you were watching Power of the Dog, what did you connect to, and what didn't you? Okay, let's get into it. Um, What did I connect to in this movie? I mean, that's sort of a leading question, because I feel like I did not Mm -hmm. connect to too mm. much in this movie. I don't hate this movie. I think it's a worthy movie and it's a fascinating movie to talk about. So we're going to have a wonderful podcast. Already we do. But um, as far as like watching it, I was sort of like mostly what I connected to was the curiosity of what kind of movie is this? It like moves all these pieces into position and then kind of idles for a while and you're left kind of speculating what's she going to do with this? And you do get an answer, but it comes in like the very last two minutes really. And the answer is sneaky, queer, revenge, murder, not sneaky, queer, love story. And you're just kind of somewhat with the characters. You're somewhat in this world, but it's a pretty familiar world to me. 
Um, you know, the, mm. the Western is, you know, one of the great archetypal movie genres in, in film history, and we've lived there for a long time. And it feels comfortable to be there. It feels sort of familiar. You're kind of waiting for what exactly is the twist. And you get small twists along the way, but the kind of grand flourish about, about what she is trying to accomplish with this story only comes at the very end. And you kind of sit back and you say, hmm, and you think about it. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I did rewatch, uh, I rewatched it again recently, and it somewhat improves the viewing experience the second time, but it doesn't make it, I don't, I don't, I don't quite get the, the hype. Give me, like, mm. hype me up. I just want to point out, and this is something I didn't know until recently, this book is written by Thomas Savage. Not a well-known book, like not a, a book that had sort of gone out of print, like it, it was it was more discussed, you know, in the 60s when it came out, but like certainly not like an enduring work that is widely known, I feel like. It was a book someone sent Jane Campion just sort of as a like, you should read this, and she liked it. Like there's nothing more complicated than that going on. But Thomas Savage, which I didn't know recently, when he was a young boy, moved to a ranch with his mother mm-hmm. and the brother of the man that his mother married was this great mm-hmm. chess player who went to Yale, who was also a really like hardened cowboy and a mean, terrible bully. So mm. if that sounds familiar, it's cause you just watched the power of the dog. So cl- clearly like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He poured his sort of, uh, coming of age into this book that was, you know, again, like a minor piece of sort of modern Western writing when it came out. Uh, is an acknowledged influence on Brokeback Mountain. Annie mm-hmm. Proulx's book, she said it was a big influence on her. But obviously then you right, you do have this sort of funny movie thing of like Brokeback Mountain at this point is old hat. Like that's a movie that came out many years ago, blah, blah, blah. I went into this film very, very excited that pretty much one of my like sort of all-time favorite filmmakers had finally made a movie again. Like I, I had been mm-hmm. long waiting a Campion film. I do like top of the lake but she hadn't made a movie since bright star and i was like finally like you know she's making this sort of big open western and i think i had the reaction that a lot of people had which was uh, which sort of spencer you were kind of describing i was on tenor hooks the whole damn time being like mm. where is this going I, yeah. I you know obviously i was very transfixed by all the characters and i was very you know swept up in the visuals but i was also just kind of like i don't understand how I'm supposed to feel about Phil uh-huh, in uh-huh, particular, uh-huh. but but everyone, right? You know, Cody's c- character, Peter, especially as well. And I don't understand what this dynamic is that's building between them. And then the last five minutes of the movie are this crazy sort of crushing plot blow. And then you sort of walk out of the theater being like, whoa, it, like unpacking <laughs> it all. Part of the magic of this film is that when you rewatch it, it reveals itself to be trickier and thornier and nastier and i walked away from my second viewing even higher than i had been after the first viewing in both viewings though i did feel like it was telling a a profound story and it sounds to me like spencer you you saw these characters as well less profound (laughs) (laughs) or these themes Uh, yeah uh, i mean than we did i'm not like there's a way that we could talk about this that would make it sound like i am you know, like offended by the movie, but it's more <laughs> like early on when Phil starts bullying Peter mm-hmm. and he pretty much like, the first second he sees it. Right. The mm-hmm. first scene, right. Like yeah. uh, he kind of like cocks his wrist and he looks at it, Peter with this sort of like malevolence, but interest. Like I groaned and I was like, please don't let this be a movie about a gay cowboy bullying a like effeminate other queer kid mm-hmm. in the West. Uh, now, gentlemen, look, see, that's what you do with the cloth. 
It's really just for wine drips. Oh, you got that, boys? Only for the drip. It's like, to me, that it, there's nothing particularly shocking or novel in like the idea that like the mean old cowboy who lives alone, ostracizing himself from society, like maybe he has a secret and maybe it's that he's gay, you know, like, right, right. And, 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 and everything that goes along with that, you know, the, the whole notion that various manly archetypes we have in our society often are sort of cover for people who are vulnerable in one way or another or trying to hide some portion of themselves or are gay. I mean, to me, that feels like super played out. <laughs> like, it's not that, <laughs> not that revelatory. And so for the first album movie, w- one of the things it's doing is, is relying on your curiosity about what the deal is with Phil. And for me, I was like, is, he gay? is that where this is going? Come on, this is not where it's really going. Come on, come on, come on. And then he goes to this beautiful glen and he walks by the naked men bathing in the river and mm. and you know it's sort of revealed to us that he has uh the handkerchief the with neckerchief. henry the yes. neckerchief and like having this sort of like uh, this, yes yes this sort of yeah. like masturbatory ritual and you know and then we find out that he has uh skin mags also hidden in his tree in case we needed to like further confirmation of what's they're going not, on here what it, i love is that just, they're like muscle like, mags you know it's like the old sort of <laughs> 19 teens thing of like ah yeah yeah the yeah human and form it's just, it's, we must admire yeah. it it's, it's the 1920s equivalent of gay porn right yeah, yeah. uh this is all in the mm. book to be clear yes uh yeah uh, all of it yeah 100 percent. yeah but spencer i do see where you're coming from as far as when thomas savage wrote his book in 1967 these ideas of repression and queerness probably felt revolutionary and these days to translate it to film does feel kind of like you could very easily see this film as reductive and just saying that this is the fact that this character is gay is the twist makes mm. makes makes him feel like a stock mm-hmm. character as you write in your piece but my take from this film is that the dog in the title is not queerness it's machismo right it's it's masculinity and we we mm-hmm. can certainly talk more about that i just yes it is rendered as kind of a twist that Phil Burbank is queer and hides away in this glen to, you know, stroke this neckerchief and, and think about Bronco <laughs> Henry. It is a, it is a, it is a, come it is, on. Like, it is you twist, do not but, groan at this? <laughs> well, but my reading of it is yes, he's repressed. Yes, he's queer and he's surrounded by all of these images of masculinity. But Bronco Henry had an effect on him when he was very, very young, and he mm-hmm. does not understand his own identity. How old were you when you met Bronco Henry? About the age you are now. Was he your best friend? He was. More than that. I found there to be more to this than just saying Phil Burbank is gay and therefore he's what he is. But there absolutely that, it, it, like... There's a lot that can be kind of strung out from the way that this movie plays out and, and like the tropes it's playing with and the ways that like mm-hmm. Campion is saying, yeah, maybe this is a trope, but I'm going to take this as a character, as, as like a person worthy mm-hmm. of, you know, portraying as a empathetic, uh, someone you empathize with and can be seen anew. And I, by the end of the movie, I didn't feel like it had fully gotten to some place of showing us something that we haven't really seen before other than Hmm. a pretty you know straightforward twist which is that you spend the second half of the movie being like oh my god is it like 
Like, is this a love affair? Is this like, mm. is he going to kill the kid for finding mm-hmm. out about him or, you know, take some sort of like horrible revenge? Because they're all scripts that we've seen play out and stories about similar subject matter before. And it's like, no, actually, the kid is going to kill him as a preemptive strike because he thinks that this guy's been so horrible to his mom and is only going to make her life worse. Um, right. Which is, that, which that, is that, an that accurate is, read. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. That, like that's that's cool, but it's also like then you're just like okay, so it's like David and Goliath story. It's like it's like what well, what, what do we actually, have here? Like what, sort what is, of. I would say there's a lot more to it than I, that. I mean, Spencer. Well, sorry. I know it sounds like we're like ganging up on you, Spencer. It's just no, no, no. This <laughs> is this is the, this is the yeah. structural nature of the podcast, and we can blame Kevin, our producer. <laughs> in in my mind, in my mind, it's actually not so much about killing the dog it's about peter transforming into a dog himself right he 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 has killed technically a family member and someone who has kind of seduced obviously there's something toxic about poisoning a man to death but he has also adopted a different form of masculinity and machismo you you can't kill the dog is what i walked away with what you're saying is that mm -hmm. that is what is so offensive to phil i think beyond Mm -hmm. like from minute one it's that mm-hmm. this kid walks into the tavern his mother operates with the, mm-hmm. you know, with the napkin draped over his arm and with the paper mm-hmm. flowers that he made. Mm-hmm. And is not, he's not mm-hmm. like flamboyant or annoying, but he is clearly unashamed. Like, uh, yes. Yes, yes, I made yes. these yep. beautiful paper flowers. I wonder what little lady made these. <laughs> Actually, I did, sir. And so Phil unleashes on him. But Phil unleashes on everyone in this movie, obviously. Like, he's picking at... uh, uh, Yeah, we need to talk about Rose, too. Right, he's picking at Rose. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it's not so much that he's uh, gay, although that's obviously something, like, that's boiling away inside of him. But it's also this whole American concept of, like intelligence and machismo not being able to interact with each other right so phil mm-hmm. has like sublimated we, we learn like you know he went to yale he was mm-hmm. this like you know prodigy like he's you know everyone sort of talks about you know how smart he is and all that phi beta kappa at yale wasn't it yes and classics so uh he swears the cattle in greek or latin <laughs> <laughs> and he's like almost disgusted by it but then we'll sort of like let little glimmers of that through when he's trying to wound someone and that's Mm -hmm. why cumberbatch who is a sort of upper class british actor is such good Mm -hmm. casting because he feels like someone who is a little bit playing a cowboy you believe the performance and you oh yeah you're you're certainly like i wouldn't want to tangle with this guy (laughs) but you also are like you are putting something on here like your filthiness and your meanness exactly like is a bit you know, you're, you're, you're leaning on the scale a little too much. And that's why the dynamic with Peter is to me much more interesting than sort of like usual bullying because Peter is kind of getting under his skin in this unexpected way by not giving a shit. But that is what bullying is. Like that's what, that's where, you know, that's the source of like, this is like like a canonical reason to bully someone is that you see something (laughs) you recognize in them that you don't like in yourself. Right. Like, like Mm -hmm. to me, that's just the, the place that we start with like an understanding of a story like this, not like, right. What something that's being re- really re- revealed here? Nancy. <laughs> the thing that makes this such a fascinating movie to, to talk about, and the reason mm-hmm. that I suspect it's getting the claim that's gotten, I mean, it really is like layers upon layers of the things that you know society forces people to hide, and then you know the way that people come together. Like Phil 
after kind of testing Peter for a while and after Peter learns a secret, he wants to bring him in because it's like not only to keep himself maybe safe, keep your enemy closer, keep, the, keep this person that, that knows your truth in your sight, but also because like, yeah, like there could be some real fealty and like, and like connection and that like he is so desperate for. And it's like, that's what the cowboy is. That's what, that's what the lone man mm-hmm. is in, in America. And it's like, how do they, people that are not allowed to have connection finally maybe allowing themselves to connect and then turns into this deadly trap because there's this other layer on top of it where Peter is doing a chivalrous thing. He's, he is being the truer man by protecting his mom. And so that's like this kind of like beautiful jewel box or like Rube Goldberg machine of different ways that like masculinity is keeping people on these tracks and like denying them like true love or connection. I really love that this film makes all of these tableaus about masculinity, but it's not just about masculinity. It's kind of about like adolescent boys. I was reading an essay about the elements that Jane Campion inserted herself that are not a part of the novel. Like the neckerchief, she drew that from this silent film star named William S. Hart, who was known for kind of making the neckerchief an, an iconic part of a cowboy's costume. And when you rewatch the film, there's all these young men who idolize Phil Burbank and no girls are allowed. And he and George still share the room that they had as kids. I, I just think that this is the... I, mm-hmm. I think that well, yeah, that's, see, that's the other more to say about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Phil is reacting to his brother bringing a woman into their world. Like, like and it, it completely, it's like, a, it's an all-male world. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he has figured out how to dominate that world and be the manly man in that. And she's a threat to that order. And... Yes, because because it, because it raises the question of like, okay, well, where's your woman? You know, like sure, that certainly is part of it. Yep. The old lady wants to see you too. She's come a long way. She might mind if you come to the table without a wash up. You tell them the truth that I stink and I like it. I'm wondering for the two of you, did you feel sorry for Phil? And do you see this film as a tragedy? Absolutely. I mean, yes, yeah. I certainly do. I mean, mm. that's. Another mm-hmm. thing this movie has going for it is, right, you do uh, sympathize with every character. Mm-hmm. And Phil is, you know, he should put his banjo away and stop being so mean and <laughs> yeah, like, not harass the, the, Kiki Dunst mm-hmm. when she's playing the pananer, as he calls the it. The pananer. Uh, the bartender uh, and the pananer. <laughs> and he should maybe chill out about Bronco Henry. Like, there's that early thing where... He's riding with George, and he's like, remember, you know, who, who got us mm-hmm. here? George's like, huh? And he's like, Bronco Henry! And we're like, okay, Phil, we get it. Bronco Henry's mm-hmm. great. Chill out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, you feel for everybody in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, that, 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 that mm-hmm. moment where, yeah, he, where you mentioned it, um, you both mentioned it, where, where he's playing the banjo and she's and to harass uh, Rose while she's playing the piano. And it's just like, you guys could actually just like start a band here. Like it could be fine. Like you could have like a wonderful time in this house if you just <laughs> loosened up a little bit. And, you could like, start a band, yes. Like, <laughs> like yeah. So it, you feel right. You feel bad for mm-hmm. um, for him. It, 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 and this is a Campion thing, right? Like of of not judging anyone, and in fact of kind mm-hmm. of like becoming um, enamored and empathetic towards people who are freaky and perverted, and like want mm-hmm. and like are so ruled by some sort of indescribable desire that they kind of offend society around them. At least I've, I've only seen piano, the piano and uh, bright star, but this seems like Campion is kind of like, 
a champion of the freaks and like the sort of like almost yeah. kinky sense. Like that's mm-hmm. that's part of her deal. Yeah, this is very much in her sweet spot. She is maybe the greatest filmmaker of all time at depicting human interaction, in my opinion. Like I find the interactions she depicts in their sort of subtlety and their quiet little bits of manners and like this sort of way that the emotion can like switch between character to character in a conversation like is so powerful like Mm-hmm. She she is I, it's I wanted to bring up like her first film is called Sweetie uh, her this film she made mm. in New Zealand that is very similar to The Power of the Dog in a lot of ways in that it is about having a person in your house who you just cannot deal with like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. like I'm just trying to live my life with my boyfriend over here and in Sweetie there's this character called Sweetie who is just impossible and creating so much chaos and everyone else just does not know a what to do with baby. it a big baby She's a big baby. Yes, she's less she's mean big, than big Phil. Baby. She's more just fully chaotic. But uh, but it's it's funny that she keeps going back to those kinds of like personal dynamics. Except with mm-hmm. the power of the dog, she's like, I am trying to understand something about like American masculinity and what a like gossamer facade it is over like silly you know academic you know european colonizers just sort of like marching into town and being like well i can pull the balls off a bull better than any of you so i must be the toughest and like that is why i'm sure she connected to this book about this sort of like sensitive seeming kid who wanders into the situation and is you know you're sort of like oh no i Mm -hmm. i'm i'm worried about this and Instead, he is playing a chess game with Phil that Phil doesn't even know he's in. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. this kid has been basically trying to figure out how to get one over on Phil for as long as he can. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I am really curious about what you think when you compare the legacy or, you know, potential legacy of this film. It just came out in November versus the one that Brokeback Mountain had. You know, these are just in terms of films about queerness and cowboy imagery. When I think about Brokeback Mountain, I think about its take on American identity more than masculinity. And I think I walk away feeling like it's more tragic than The Power of the Dog, partly because the score is so lush and sweeping and it's it's about a love story. But I wonder what your take is. Yeah, they're, they're very different movies. Yeah. Yes, I, like, yes. I don't think they really have... Uh, the, uh, setting is what they have to do with each other, obviously. But right. well, There was that Guardian piece that called Part of the dog, the cold mm-hmm. soul, Brokeback Mountain, and that mm. seems right. Like it's 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 the kind of the mm. inverse of it. It's you know it, it's like what if you know Brokeback Mountain sort of is important because it set that template or or at least brought that template to public mm-hmm. uh, acclaim and visibility and really made people just really get ravished by a gay romance like and really. Mm-hmm get swept up in the desire of it and then the tragedy and you know brought the the way that repression can shape a relationship into the story in a way that like you really feel an emotional big-hearted way um mm-hmm. and then part of the dog is not an emotional movie it's 
it's a very mental movie. It's sort of like pointing out the other side of, of how like a story like that can go. And that's fine. Like that's that's neat. But but I also the part of why I wrote a piece about this is because I did not go into the power of the dog knowing it was a queer movie. And I don't mm. feel like people are mm. talking about it a lot that way. And you know, some people even I've seen like are talking about like it's queer subtext. And it's like no, that's the text of the it's movie. Not, it's like, not it's like, I don't know what it's no, about. Yeah. And like, so yeah. it's kind of like interesting that like it's, I don't know, like the way it's been mm-hmm. marketed or like the fact that it's, you know, we don't find out about Phil until halfway through the movie is is making it not discussed quite as much in those terms. Um, and yeah. I wonder, you know, as Oscar season wears on, if, if that'll start to change. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I feel like it's important to draw the comparison. I don't mean to ask the question in like a reductive way. It's just it has been compared. No, it's I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And similar imagery. Um, but you're also right. It's so strange when it comes to let's talk about the Oscars conversation about, around this film. I just what on earth is happening here? How is this going to be the best picture front? Runner? Okay. Like what? So, what is going on? Go for it, well, David. Why are you so shocked? I guess is my first question. Why? Why? <laughs> like. I guess my first question is, what do you think should be the sort of presumed front runner? Well, I have not seen all forty-seven no, movies no. that are nominated, so no, I'm, no, not, I'm not saying you have, but you I'm are not, at nor, least you are at least sort of aware of the general, you know, yeah, palette of movies that have come out this year. Well, I guess there's more of a question about like what's going on with the Oscars over right now and over the past. I don't know for however long, but like it, the the winners have seemed a bit kind of arbitrary, at least for someone that's not super steeped in film world and every year it just seems like there is this sort of like lately there's been like a kind of like quiet indie-ish art movie that right. um a certain portion of the community champions and it's going up against the sort of like more stagey oscar Beatty biopic maybe um sure or right, issue right, movie right, right. and yeah I that's mean, okay. a familiar dynamic and this year it just seems like everyone's like no it's gonna be the already weird movie about gay cowboy murder uh that's gonna like <laughs> run away with it like I, look, and I, it's just like well, what's happening well okay there's a bunch of things i want to say one the oscars were massively criticized not that long ago for mostly nominating white actors and films and filmmakers and right right you know like there was the oscar so white obviously the 2015 uh, nominations had 20 you know, white acting nominees, right? You know, so which spurred this movement within the Academy. We need to expand our membership. We need to diversify. We need to make our membership younger, right? You know, like we should address this. And they did kind of incredibly. I think people are maybe not aware of how radically the Oscar membership was overhauled wow. uh, in response to that, because I think people just automatically assume that Ampus, the, uh, you know, Oscar voting body, it's still wow. like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of like 85-year-old guys who just like driving Miss Daisy or whatever. And instead, it's like the last five years of Best Picture winners have been Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Green Book. We're going to move past Green Book for a second. <laughs> no Parasite <Mad> <laughs> and Nomadland, right? So four out of those five movies are right weird, arty, you know, not particularly populist. Green Book is sort of the outlier. That was the sort of mm-hmm. surprise populist winner. It had a lot of things going for it, sort of a backlash to a backlash situation, big crowd-pleasing movie, and its big competitor was Roma, which I think there was a lot of resistance internally to Netflix. I think, what you know, whatever, that movie wasn't going over maybe as much as they hoped. But in general, it's kind of obvious that the Oscars are starting to trend a little more, as you say, Spencer, like indie arty, like in, in recent years. Film Twitter. Well, <laughs> film Twitter will always complain about the Oscars, obviously. But 
that the other thing is, of course, what's happening in the movie industry at large is that quote unquote populist movies are just freaking, you know, superhero movies now. Like, you know, like the general offerings have become like it's either a big old blockbuster or something that's more conspicuously indie or arty or on a streaming service or what you know, like so mm-hmm. the, these are all things that are going on, right? I would say the most populous things on offer this year that got Best Picture nominations are Dune, which was about as close as you could get to like a big old blockbuster that would get Oscar attention. But Dune is not going to win because Dune is polarizing in its own ways. I love Dune, but right, you know, it's, it's science fiction. It's part one of a two part story, you know. The other sort of big movies this year that you would think would be more what you're talking about, Spencer, the kind of mm-hmm. you know biopicy crowd pleasers are Belfast and King Richard, and those movies were not seen in cinemas because they hmm. came out during a pandemic, like during a wave of uh, the virus that basically kept old people out of theaters. Like people are going to mm-hmm. see movies, young people who are less afraid of going to a cinema, but like you know Belfast should be just coasting through mm-hmm. America for four months, eating up box office. You know, that, huh. that was always the way uh-huh. you do it with an Oscar movie like that. Mm-hmm. And But right now, if I'm like, you know, 65 years old, I might not be, I'll be like, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll see it yeah, on I, home video or whatever. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't need to see it right now. So I feel like those movies never got to gather momentum in the sort of classic Oscar way. Whereas Power of the Dog, bang, right on yeah. Netflix. Everyone watched it. I would toss West Side Story into that conversation too, even if the handicap there is the you know the inaccessibility of movie musicals. But it's just well, yeah, older older folks are not going to the theater. West Side Story had the additional mm-hmm. hamper of obviously it's a remake of one of the great Oscar winning movies. So like mm-hmm. you know people are always skeptical of that, but mm-hmm. also because it sort of underwhelmed at the box office, it kind of got tagged with this weird thing of like, well, why didn't it revive proper cinema? <laughs> Steven, right. you said you would. Right. You said you would get you know everyone back to you know like and it's sort of like what's Steven, he what the heck? To do? <laughs> he made you a good movie, like you know you can't single handedly <laughs> drag everyone to the AMC's. But you know anyway, so like I feel like people just got sort of grumpy with West Side Story for like only making thirty million dollars when it should have made three hundred or whatever it yeah. is that people wanted out of it. It's very easy for people to get grumpy about films, as, as we mentioned with film Twitter. Um, I can answer whatever. So I, I do think it's. <laughs> I'm very, very, I, very frustrated with the narrative that is emerging of like these Oscars don't understand like what people want, and mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm. people don't understand mm-hmm. what people want. What do they want? Look at the list. <laughs> Tell me what you want, you jerks. <laughs> and also, Power of the Dog is right in their wheelhouse. It's the kind of movie they've been rewarding: yeah. grown-up mm-hmm. drama with like good acting, made with care by an Oscar-winning you know filmmaker. Yeah. Like that, that is like impeccably designed and like has powerhouse emotions. And like, you know, it's the kind of thing they love. They gave Best Picture to the Fish Sex movie five years ago. I know. And I people know. were like, I, shrug, I, 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 middle of the road choice. Yeah. I would have been more surprised if we were all saying that Dune was the front runner, you know? Dune would be a surprising <laughs> front runner. If Dune, Dune would be Dune could have been a front runner if it had an ending. I mean, I love Dune. I love it. But it's just, yeah. it's tough to send people out of the theater with like, and hopefully we and can that's wrap this the up first for you part. later. Yeah, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so for more on Dune, please turn to our podcast episode on Dune. 
So the <laughs> the membership has turned over in a more diverse and forward thinking direction. Right. Has that been more and more happening? The membership has been turning over more, and this is the year that represents that the most. Or is it like we kind of like had a reset five years ago, and it's been that game since then? Basically, like for the last five mm. years, the Oscars have been sort of pumping in members at a sort of much higher rate than. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, hundreds know, of then, folks, right? Mm-hmm. Every year? Th- thousands, I, I believe. Thousands? It's gone from 6,200 members at the start in 2016 to 9,300 today. So basically they added like one third, mm-hmm. you know, which is all, by the way, in my opinion, totally good. Like it's absolutely what they should be doing. And when they announced this plan in 2016, people kind of poo-pooed it as like, you know, you're not going to be able to turn this boat around. Like, it's too set in its ways. And I think they've kind of successfully proven that wrong. So they said you can't teach a dog the power of new tricks. Exactly. And this dog has shown the power to that change. That is so That's beautiful. True. Oh, wow. Spencer. <laughs> MVP. I do want to land our conversation back to where we had begun. You know, I think it's important that we talk about awards when it comes to this film because... Well, to us Oscar watchers, we do care a lot. But going back to the main question at hand, you know, is The Power of the Dog an incisive study of masculinity or a beautiful collection of queer cliches? I wonder, after this conversation, where have the two of you landed on that question? I think I've landed at thinking that uh, there are even more ways to look at this movie than I thought before, and I thought there were a lot. But that's something about what it's relying upon pawn to hold the viewer which is like your kind of curiosity about these men and and mm-hmm. like how could these characters possibly exist and how are they possibly going to interact like to me a lot of that was sapped by a feeling like we were kind of wading into the mm-hmm. encyclopedia of stock characters but we haven't talked about like how the movie sort of gets at a period in time in american history and like the idea of like the american west going from being this like untamed frontier to a commercial urban suburban place yeah, right. and They're you know everything about like, like, right, yeah you know, and that's what your review was about david um mm. and i i thought that was Who, that's me? nice i mean that's like a cute theme that's in the movie for sure like and, and <laughs> i i kind of wish the movie went at that a little harder sure it becomes more about these character names because george george especially sort of symbolizes that he wants to mm-hmm. just look let me just plop a house down here i'll bring your banana you know It'll be nice, right? Like that's he's just like no, there's a train over there. Right. The governor will come to dinner, and it's like you can't just sit your ass down in rural Montana and be like, I declare this a place to have a dinner party, you know. And that's another <laughs> thing, obviously, that sort of offends Phil to his core, right? Like it's the one reason he's kind of disgusted right. by you know everything that's going on around him. But that is the weird folly of what happened in America. I mean, Deadwood, one of the great achievements of television ever. Uh, which is also set in the West. It's set in the 1870s or whatever. It's set in South Dakota, but mm-hmm. you know, around here. You know, obviously, it's a Western, and it's about cowboys and gangsters and people shooting each other, but it's also kind of about, like, look, people just went there, you know, to go get gold or whatever. They, they, then they built a house, and then enough people built houses, and they were like, ah, shit, I guess we need a fire department. You know, like, this is the story of American civilization mm-hmm. where all these murderers and colonizers and criminals and also you know people just looking to settle far away and looking for opportunity and all that just plopped themselves down and like weird civilization just kind of like grew around them like a fungus like it's a bizarre Mm -hmm. dynamic that is worth 
uh, critiquing yeah. and exploring. Yes. It is so fascinating that the film does explore this a, a lot more in the first half because the mm-hmm. dynamic between Phil and George gets explored a lot more before Peter enters the fray, right? I mean, from the very beginning, George is introduced while soaking in a bathtub. And Phil mm. is out there talking about loving the mud or, or whatever he says. So it's, it's I mean, it's, Dirty old it's, such freak. A, <laughs> it's such a powerful through line that I, I agree with you, Spencer. I would have loved to see more of that historical period is so rich for stories like this because it is about people trying to figure out how to enforce their own ideologies on this like lawless land, right? How do you make it work the way that you want it to work? And how, how do you obtain the power? Maybe that involves bringing in a piano and having dinner parties. Or maybe it revolves around stomping around talking about Bronco Henry and insisting on not wearing gloves. Well, the thing is, like, <laughs> he loses. Like, like the, the movie says, like, one thing mm-hmm. wins out. And in the end, well, he's, on his de- he's dead and he is getting his disgusting body cleaned and shaven. And it's, like, the ultimate repudiation of, like, everything he stood for. Yeah, but and, if he uh, had just fucking chilled out... <laughs> And not insisted on handling. You can't chill out when you're a cowboy. You're not allowed to. Like he is allowed to, and he maybe (laughs) should let his guard down a little bit because, of course, yes, his undoing is he won't wear gloves in this because of this bizarre performance of machismo that he's been doing this whole. It's like put on some damn gloves, you weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. No one's gonna yell at you if you wear (laughs) gloves while you bind hides together to make ropes. Yeah, Um, I mean the anthrax wins out the poison the the wild the untamedness kind of wins out the murder wins out and and i i feel like his death kind of represents like when you you know when you refuse to acknowledge who you are that can that that only destroys you it's a story of self-destruction or it's a story about not wearing ppe when there's a disease Well, on that note, I think we should finish with a game as always. Uh, And we should, for the game, maybe stick with some Oscar talk. Since we've talked so much about Best Picture, I was wondering what film that's not The Power of the Dog are you rooting for in any other category? Well, I will say that I am rooting for Olivia Colman from The Lost Daughter to win for Best Mm. Actress. So she can go up there and do a repeat of when she won (laughs) last time and say, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. And uh, it will be even more (laughs) poignant because... The lady was not nominated this year yeah, in the, in the greatest scandal of the season. It is a scandal. Oh. I agree. I, that 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 category is a disaster, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> and I don't even dislike most of the nominated. I love Olivia Coleman. I like Penelope Cruz's performance a lot this year. I, I'm a fan of Spencer, unlike some. But uh, the fact that Nicole Kidman strikes me right now as the front runner for being the Ricardos, love Nicole Kidman, mm. can't really get on board with that movie or performance. Like it just seemed like a weird. But a lot of good actors snubbed this year, including Lady mm-hmm. Gaga. Lady um, Gaga. Uh, but yeah, Gaga. Olivia would be good. Lady yeah. Gaga. That's actually what she said. She goes, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Uh, that is, by the way, people. Anyone who likes to just see Oscars. I mean, I watch that clip all the time yeah. of, of oh my gosh, winning for yes. the favorite. And it is the perfect Oscar moment because everyone's surprised, including the winner. Mm-hmm. But also, everyone is so happy. Like, the sort of genuine emotion like from at- Emma Stone and Yorgos... Yeah. Uh, the director of the film, Yorgos Lanthimos, like is very moving. Like, and then obviously Olivia Colman, and then also like the weird <laughs> little moments, like 
Viggo Mortensen kind of claps her on the shoulder in this sort of like, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, like there's like little stuff like that where it's like, that's what the Oscars are about. Those weird little candid moments, you know, in between all the big like, you know, awards theater of it. It's so I good. I mean, it's a... Sp- it's a spectacular speech. I also rewatch it all the time. Just her blowing a raspberry at the camera. Like, she's very surprised. She definitely <laughs> was not supposed to win that Oscar. She's so good. Uh, so uh, Spencer's yeah. taking Olivia Coleman. David, what about you? I mean, I'm look, I'm always rooting for a pleasant surprise. Like, it's not like I want surprises all around. Cause I think some of the front runners like power of the dog are totally good, worthy movies, but like, it is obviously always fun to have, like a surprising winner. That's just always a, a fun Oscar moment. I love the worst person in the world, which sort of snuck in an original screenplay. I don't think it's going to win. I hope Belfast doesn't win there. I mean, can he be, it might, or don't look up. Wouldn't be like, I, I think Paul Thomas Anderson might win there that, you know, he's never won an Oscar. That could be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always rooting for West side story because I love the film and it does feel like the kind of big, technically accomplished beautifully thought through like hollywood achievement that like we don't get enough of these days right like those kinds of movies mm-hmm. are, are getting drowned out by you know superhero movies i hate <laughs> to complain about superhero movies I, I like them just fine but you know and so like i was i was all kind of ginned up for west side story and i hope it wins some trophies but it already feels like it's sort of on the outside looking in for the major stuff so i don't know i don't know who i'm rooting for apart from worst person in the world i guess i'm rooting for a drive my car victory as well yeah Beyond there you go. foreign film i mean i assume it'll win international film but I, it would be nice if that one adapted screenplay over power of the dog i'm going to follow that thread and just say that i'm pulling for coda even though i don't think coda will get anything but that's that's been a pleasant surprise to win. see kind of pull through I what for best adapted screenplay i think supporting actor I think there's. Oh, for Troy Kotzer. I, I think Troy Kotzer is a sort of like hmm. quiet underdog in that category. Cody is the front runner, but yeah, when you're a front runner, you to... get you get exhaustion like from the voters. Like people are like, all right, you know. That's fair. That's fair. I think this whole time I've been expecting Cody Smith McPhee to run away with it, yeah. but there could be a shot. And I and I just like I like any little movie that can, <laughs> and that, and especially a movie that I can return to. Uh, so I think that does it for the show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcast is Claudine Abade, and our art is by Charlie Le Mignon. I'm Shirley Lee. Thank you, David. Thank you, Shirley. And thank you, Spencer. Thank you, kindly. Bye. 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 Arf, arf, arf. Bye. <laughs>